Hi, this is Erin James Brown. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. And I serve as the interim site pastor at Urban Village Church, Edgewater. Urban Village Church does bold, inclusive, and relevant ministry for people who were traumatized by church, people who feel over-churched, and even the non-churched folks. If you identify with any of these signifiers, we're so glad you're listening. Would you consider helping us continue this Jesus-loving ministry in and across Chicago and over the internet? You can make a generous recurring gift by going to our website, urbanvillagechurch.org backslash give. And thanks for helping us with your ears, actions, and dollars to build up God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And now, here's the latest sermon. Hi, my name is Jen, and I'll be reading scripture this morning. I'm reading from Acts. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. All these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer, together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers. Together, the crowd numbered about 120 persons and said, Friends, the scripture had to be fulfilled with the Holy Spirit through David foretold concerning Judas, who became a guide for those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and allotted his share in this ministry. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his homestead become desolate and let there be no one to live in it and let another take his position of overseer. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us to his resurrection. So they proposed to Joseph, called Barsabas, who was also known as Justice and Matthias. Then they prayed and said, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was added to the 11 apostles. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them are filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other language as the Spirit gave them ability. The word of God for the people of God. Good morning. My name is Erin James Brown. I serve as the interim site pastor here at Urban Village Church Edgewater. Will you pray with me once more? God who rushes in like a wind and God who moves silently and swiftly, we ask God that you continue to move in our lives, shaping us and changing us, showing us which way to go forward, trusting that you, God, are guiding and moving us, whether it's through prayer, through community, through scripture, and through the testament of those who have gone before us. And so, God, we offer ourselves to you. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. 
Amen. At the age of, the ripe old age of 22, I was engaged. Now, that might sound like way too young for some of you, for someone to be discerning the future of their lifelong commitment to another person. I want to explain, I lived in a culture where you graduated high school, and then you went to college, and then you got married, and then you started a job, and then 2.5 years later, you started a family and had kids, and they wrecked your life, but you only talked about the good parts and posted cute pictures on Facebook, and then someday you would die. So as I approached graduation from college, I felt this internal and kind of external pressure there was to commit to someone for the rest of my life, or I might be seen like a failure or unlovable. And so I was dating a man at the time, and he made me laugh, like deep belly laughter. And he cared for me so deeply. He invited my entire family to attend William Shakespeare's All's Well, All's well That Ends Well, in which I played the leading role, what up? And at the final curtain call, as I took the last bow, he came around the corner from behind the curtains to get down on one knee and extend a ring towards my hand. And I began to shake my head no. Although I loved this man, he also made large decisions without consulting me, like getting a dog or purchasing a new car, creatures and debts, which I would be responsible for in the future and had no voice in contributing towards. He believed in goodness and hope, but denied God's existence and movement in the world and then shamed others for not having the evidence toward their faith. So although I loved this man, I knew instantly and deep down I didn't want to raise a family with him. But with the pressure of my genuine care for him, genuine, and my family's beaming smiles and the crowded audience gasping with surprise of the romance of it all, I just furrowed my brow and nodded, yes, I will marry you. Jesus' followers were in a sort of pickle. They gathered closer, surrounding Jesus, the coming of God, the kingdom of God. Is it coming now? Jesus had committed his life into God's hands on the cross. He had breathed his last, and then he had been discovered wandering the road to Emmaus, walking and eating and revealing himself to others. Jesus, after meeting with his disciples and kicking it for 40 days, decided it was time to bounce. And the faithful and those not so faithful gathered to ask, the kingdom of God, is it coming now? And then after Jesus' ascension into the sky, Jesus had now the gone, resurrected, and the left, the kingdom of God. Is it here now? How will the church continue to function? How will this group of ragtag individuals make a movement happen as they had been so charged by their leader? So Jesus leaves his followers, the men, and also the women, what up women, and also those pushing the boundaries of gender norms. The author of our text, the same author of the Gospel of Luke, says that they gathered together, all of them. It was the week of the Jewish festival in Jerusalem, Shavuot, or the festival of weeks when they celebrated that the giving of law, the law had been given to the people of God. They had gathered celebrating that God had given them guidance in a way through the wilderness. So by following God's way, they could help make decisions. It's appropriate that then they decided, we're going to make some decisions. The city was crowded with festival goers. So it was crowded in that upper room, this familiar place where Jesus had once revealed himself 
entering past, blowing past a locked door with the windows open and the stale smell of the air circulating. The people wiped the sweat from their foreheads and their upper lips and they decided it's time to make some decisions. There were those who had formally denied Jesus, like that Peter, the once, twice, three times, a lying son of a mama. And there were those others who looked death full in the face and stood by Jesus. They were all there, all ready to contribute their voice. These early Jesus followers looked to complete their group. They wanted to have 12, which is a biblical number representing their ancestral connection to the 12 tribes of Israel. But they had just been through some real trauma. There had been a 12th. This seemingly failed disciple Judas, the followers of Jesus had to make a hard decision, set themselves up for success, hoping to trust this new individual that would go with them, bear fruit for the kingdom of God, to live out the commitments of the Jesus whom they fashioned their lives after. And so a lot rested on who would be the next. Who would join their crew, their posse, their their squad, in whom they would place their trust in this God-sharing mission, organizing of people and growing of a movement? And so they had to make a decision. And all of us have to make decisions, like a thousand decisions, all day, every day, basically, when we're going to get up, when we're going to get out of bed, are we going to brush our teeth, are we going to shower? Yes, maybe sometimes no. And some of our decisions sometimes feel less important and sometimes they feel so dire, like those that the disciples were dealing with, wrestling with who they could trust in this next community, this next phase of where God would lead them. Throughout all of January, Urban Village Church, not just Urban Village Church Edgewater, but we comprise four different churches, four churches throughout the city of Chicago, stretching all the way to Hyde Park, winding all the way up Uh, Lakeshore Drive here to Edgewater in the South Loop and Wicker Park, we're all discussing what it means to make decisions in our life. What is at stake when we decide to follow God? When we just, how do we discern where God is leading us next? How do we see that plan, that path God might have laid for us? Why decisions are hard, why they create anxiety, and how God is in the midst of it with us. In Christianity, this is called discernment, a large word, a big D word, discernment of how to move forward for the benefit of creation, exploring where God is in our midst, guiding us when we make difficult decisions that might impact our future. So the disciples show us in this passage, but throughout most of the gospel, they show us resources we can call upon in our decision-making. So I want to invite you to get out your phone, Maybe if that's where you like to take notes or maybe on your little piece of paper that because you, you always have those flyers sitting in your car when you get home. These are illustrations from scripture, instructions to guide us towards opportunities to engage with God and the historical tradition towards future making and future understanding. Knowing that God goes with us. First, the disciples show us how. They show us that they pray. So that we, when we are trying to see where God is in our midst, where God is leading us and calling us, we are called to pray. When, we ga- when they gathered in the upper room, they were shocked by the ascension, shocked by the violent death of their Lord, but also of Judas. They were rocked by their denial, but also by their lack of conviction they, that they were associated with Jesus. And so they gathered for prayer. They gathered to voice their concerns, to, to guide 
uh, to ask God to guide them and turn a compassionate and listening ear. And so what we do when we talk to our God in prayer is God, we, we say our God values what we have to say. God takes seriously our concerns. And so when we lift our voices in prayer, we trust that God hears our anxieties and our pleas and then shows us a way forward. Next, the disciples relied on, number two on your bullet points, community. They gathered not just once, but like a million times, multiple times, to discuss options, to argue and to debate, to mull over and to try and come up with some creative ideas. They didn't believe that one person held all the power or all the answers, but that each individual's contribution and thoughts and consideration and voice mattered. So we too gather, not just here for worship, we gather to sing and lift our voices to God because that feel, feels good, but we also gather to be in real authentic relationship with one another, to talk about the things we hate and the things we love, the things we have deep opinions about, so that we can continue to push each other, to spark each other, to be more authentic, more truly ourselves in this world that wants to squelch who we are out of us. So we gather in this project, this project of being church, and we need you as this project, not only for worship, but also we're going to have some big decisions to make coming up. One is that we might have to go back to two services soon. If you're new here, you might not know that we were at two services at one point, meeting at 9.15 and then also at a, no, 9.30 and also at 11.15. But you showed up at 10.30 this morning because that's when we're meeting because we only have one service. But we have so many people pouring into our, into our midst, like Karen and Jeremy and Vanessa and Violetta are all at the back. Some are sitting on the floor because there are so many of you crowding into our space. So many people streaming in, wanting to hear the good news of God. But that also means we need to talk, discuss. Think about what are the challenges of going to two services? Maybe we hate being in two services because we don't see our friends as much. We also have other big decisions about how we're gonna do our staffing structure. You may or may not know that I announced I am the interim pastor here. I once served as the director of discipleship. Now I'm serving as a preaching, teaching, discipling pastor here at Edgewater. That's because we're trying to learn and explore and discuss where best to fit me, where best to fit our lead pastor, Pastor Christian, where best to use all of our gifts and times and talents and your money resources to support this growing movement. And so we have to discuss what do we think is best? Do you want to have streaming services? Actually, no. No one wants to have <laughs> their projected sermons on the video screen. But we know that because we discussed it earlier, because you told us your opinions and what you want. And so we need that feedback continually to help us continue to move forward, to see what is best so that we can continue to share the good news of God, continue to grow this ministry that we believe the world needs, but also to use our resources well for the rest of the world. And so we gather in community, talking, discussing, debating, and coming up with creative ideas. The other way that we discern how God is moving in our lives is we turn towards scripture and towards history. And there are lots of passages in scripture that make no sense. Maybe you read this morning's passage and you didn't understand what it was talking about or why we have to read the history of how they made decisions in the history of the church. But these are examples and ways for us to interpret how God is moving in our lives. Like Peter, he does this for the disciples in our passage this morning, quoting the book of Psalms. 
we too rely on scripture to teach us what, how others survived, how they endured the hardships of life so that we can have confidence we will survive and endure with God's help. And also, sometimes we rely on chance. That's what casting lots is. The disciples looking around, wondering, should it be Judas or Matthias? These two really great guys with really good hearts who knew Jesus, but we have no idea which one will be a better mover and shaker. So they throw some dice and realize Matthias is the one we choose. And some scholars and historians wonder, did they make the right choice? Because we never hear of Matthias later. Maybe they didn't. Sometimes chances like that, and we don't make the right choice, but that doesn't mean God stops working or moving because we are the testament that God continued to move, that church continued to build because we're here today. Chance can sometimes be a way we determine our future, and it, do, it isn't out of the realm or possibility of God's ability to use what's going on. And we also trust the Holy Spirit, this powerful and mysterious mover and shaker within and force that sometimes speaks with these lapping tongues of fire and other times moves silently, slipping across chaos, bringing order and new life. And so we trust the Holy Spirit continues to move, whether we see her as tongues of fire, feel her moving deeply within us, or see her in others moving and shaking about this world. Although we may feel nervous about making big decisions and choices, we can move confidently knowing that we are guided not by either or thinking, but by both and thinking. In our last sermon series during Advent, we talked about our commitments to anti-racism. And one of the values that we unpacked for anti-racism was either or thinking, believing that there's one right answer and one wrong answer and no other answers within the realm of possibility. And that gets us stuck in a lot of unhealthy decision-making, but also a lot of unhealthy thinking about ourselves and our community. Rather, we want to move towards what we believe are anti-racist, Jesus-like commitments towards both and thinking, which says there is this answer and this answer and a third and fourth and fifth answer, and we can be discussing which one maybe influences the other, combining some uh, decisions to move forward and making up a totally random answer that gets us going and moving forward. There's a study from 2014, Harvard Business School, that's right, Harvard Business School did a study where they asked people to make decisions and they put forward two options and they asked, what should you do? Should you choose answer A or answer B? And they uh, studied how people responded, whether they began sweating getting nauseous, feeling about what decision they should make, agonizing over what choice would be the right choice at that moment, even though it was just for a study. And then, after studying that sample, they went to study another group of people, asking, this is answer A, this is answer B. What choice could you make? Allowing for this space of possibility and creativity Allowing people to see that it's not about what should you do, but about what you could do. And then coming up with third way answers that inspire new ways to move about in the world. So when we start making our decisions, another godly way we keep thinking about them is, what could God be calling us towards? What could God want us to do in this moment? What could the multitude of possibilities be for our life? It's rather than about trying to control and fix things, 
because we believe that our God can use our choices continually. This also reinforces the idea that there, in God's economy, there are plenty of diverse answers and each possible choice is not out of God's control to fix it if it is inevitably wrong or even just mediocre. Our God sees possibility out of what seems impossible. So at the age of 22, I made one of the hardest and best decisions of my life. And I'm not super proud of this, but maybe, maybe I am super proud of this. I spent 10 long months engaged to this person, wrestling with how I would spend the rest of my life committed. Would it be to this one person? Would it be to a bunch of other people? Would it be to no one at all? And so after it, praying and crying like those ugly, snot-nosed, ugly tear crying, after asking God how I should spend the rest of my life, I then sought the counsel of friends and mentors. I had this one mentor. I sat in her office for 10 months every day, crying, looking for an answer. And she, in her wisdom, didn't give me an answer, but continually reflected back to me. You've been in here 10 months crying every darn day. What do you think that means? I also read and studied scripture. I believed in a God and explored the rich history of scripture of people who faith who doubted, but nevertheless persisted, hoping that the Holy Spirit would make a mighty and powerful movement in their, in their lives someday. And so I moved by the Holy Spirit to make a mighty and powerful decision that not only would change my life, but would change the lives of many other people and even potential children that could come into this world. And so I told my then fiance, I wouldn't be able to marry him. And we cried like those ugly snot-nosed tears, big, heavy tears. He was fiercely angry with me. We were both fiercely brokenhearted. And while I doubted, while I feared I would never be loved again, while I considered who would care for someone so broken, someone who seemingly was indecisive, I learned that God had empowered me with the strength to make difficult decisions, to make decisions that wouldn't always make other people happy, that might hurt others, but it inevitably would make a new way forward, more beautiful possibilities than I could have ever imagined. Because just a few years later, that person I was going to be married to married someone else had kids with someone else, and from what I can tell on Facebook, looks incredibly happy. <laughs> a few short months after that, me thinking I was totally unlovable and remembering every time when I was in that coffee shop that I worked and this really cute guy would come in, I would slip off my engagement ring and put it in my pocket to go talk to him. <laughs> a few short months later, that, that really cute guy came up and asked me out. And a few short years later, I found myself married to someone else, to him, that cute guy from the coffee shop. <laughs> Happier than I ever could have imagined. Because when we make hard, difficult decisions, it doesn't mean that God isn't working in and among us, but that God continues to work through those difficult and hard situations, empowering us with the power of the Holy Spirit to move forward. Because we serve a God who sees possibility in the seemingly impossible, who imagines creatively and explores endless choices and worlds for God's good creation, a God who tells us 
You don't have to go it alone. God asks us to, to surround ourselves with beloved community to help us to be clear, to pray more fervently, to discuss in community, and to remind us of God's historical work that sends us forth and powers us by the Holy Spirit. Will you pray with me? God, you have not left us alone. Just as you came to be with us as a baby, just as you walked with your disciples, talking and teaching and living life with them, you, God, call us to be that incarnation with one another, talking, praying with and for, walking beside one another. And so, God, we lift ourselves up to you as a community, asking, God, that in the times of difficult decision, in the times of deep anxiety, when we don't know if there even is a way forward, we ask, God, that we be a community for one another, being that mirror of reflection to each other, reminding one another of our belovedness, because we are so beloved by you. We give ourselves to you and pray this in the name of our brother and friend, Jesus. Amen.